Turn with me to Hebrews 12. Um, we're just going to read one verse. But tonight we're going to study a lot. We're going to maybe, there's going to be uh, Bible study as well as preaching, whatever way the Lord will lead it tonight. I want you to see uh, the difference in Calvary compared to everything else tonight. Hebrews chapter 12, we'll lift one verse, but keep your Bible open at this chapter, for we'll refer to most of the chapter as we go through our service. Verse 25. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. And titled this evening, Do Not Refuse the Speaking One, because in the first line of verse 25 it says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. And a Greek scholar says, it can be simply put, do not refuse the speaking one. Do not refuse the speaking one. This verse, it warns of, uh, of a salvation to be had, but yet a damnation and a judgment that would be upon the Christ rejecter. The reason the book of Hebrews was written was because there were those from the, or, or who were Hebrews or even the Jews, as it were, they were being saved and deciding to turn back to temple worship. Deciding they wanted to go back to an easier life because life seemed to get so hard where they were. Christian, you can feel the same. These people were now Christians. And Christian, in the day and the hour that we live in, let alone the year, you'll find that we are living in days when Christians want to go back to the easy life. They want to go back even to the world because maybe the world would have a lot of attraction now, and life can be hard for being a Christian. And I, I don't like to have to put that out tonight, but that's just the truth. We have some uh, newborn babes in Christ here, only a few weeks old, and I want to encourage you especially to keep going on in God and trusting in the Lord with all thine heart, to lean not unto thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us that. The verse, or this verse, verse 25, is a verse of warning that comes after an example given in the chapter of law and grace. It's rehearsed in the years of the Hebrews, for example, from verses 18 to 24. We find it all encompassed. If you would look at uh, verse 18 of chapter 12, and let's read it. Listen to what the writer says. For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the words should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so, much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Notice here, they speak about a mountain. Speaks about those who gathered round the mountain. Speaks about God who came down upon a mountain and they weren't allowed to touch the mountain nor come near it. Will you turn with me to Exodus chapter 19 this evening? Exodus chapter 19. Keep your your mark in Hebrews 12 as well. Exodus chapter 19. And this is what the Hebrew writer is speaking of here. Way back when Israel had just come out of their bondage in Egypt through the blood of the lamb that was applied to the doorposts and the door lintels. Exodus 19 and verse 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them. Today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye you go not up into the mount, nor touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. 
there shall not an hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. So God said, tell Israel who have encamped around the mountain that when my presence comes down, one, they are not to come near the mountain. They are not to touch a mountain. In fact, nothing, man nor animal, man nor beast, Israelite or non-Israelite alike, no one was allowed to touch the mountain. You see, the idea was that God is showing his holiness unto Israel. You can't come into holiness because you're unholy, he's saying. So God is showing his holiness. So you cannot approach him in your own merit. You cannot come to God nor stand in his presence by thinking you are something special, or I am. But rather, he says, you cannot approach me. Secondly, he was showing the terror of Yahweh, the terror of God on the mountain. The mountain shook and the mountain quaked, and he says, you'll see my terror come upon a mountain. So one, they cannot approach him, and two, man dare not come near him. Man dare not come near him. So great was the sight that it says in Hebrews 12 and 21. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Now this is Moses, who's seen the burning bush and talked with God out of the burning bush. This is Moses, who stood face to face with Pharaoh and called judgment onto Egypt because he would not let God's people go that they might serve him. This is Moses who stood in faith and seen the miracles happen in Egypt when God sent forth the nine, then the ten plagues of the death angel when God would pass through Egypt. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. This is the same Moses who's seen the Red Sea open and he brought the people through dry shod on dry ground to the other side. Now the same Moses sees the mountains shake and the presence of God come down. And Moses himself says, I exceedingly fear and quake. Moses was afraid in the presence of the Lord. Now Moses was afraid in the presence of the Lord. Moses is mentioned in the New Testament on numerous occasions when he was the lawgiver, when God gave him the law for Israel. Moses appeared in the vision, he and Elijah with the Lord Jesus Christ, and they spoke of Christ's death at Calvary. This same Moses, he said, I exceedingly fear and quake because he's seen some of the glory or the presence of the Lord on that mountain shook. One writer said it means Moses said, I am terrified and I am trembling. I am terrified and I am trembling. Yet man deems to think himself worthy to stand in the presence of a holy God. Man thinks to live without Christ all of his life. Woman deems herself worthy to live without Christ all of her life. And when they die, they enter into the presence of God in heaven to meet all their unsaved loved ones who never trusted in the Savior. My friend, that is a lie. That is not true. That is not what the Bible teaches us. If you don't know Christ in this life, you will not be with Christ in the next. It's as simple as that. It's as terrifying as that. And all will stand before God to give an account of their life, but to give an account of whether they received Christ and accepted his finished work on Calvary when he shed his precious blood. Did you receive my son? I have something to tell you. God, the Father, is not going to look at you and say, well, tell me how many cigarettes you smoked and how many tins of beer you drank and how many nights you went to the club and how many women you had laying with. God will not ask you that because he knows it. But he will ask you, what have you done with my son? That's the question that will be asked. 
Have you received Christ? Are you saved? And so we find that the Hebrew writer in Hebrews 12 throws us right back to Exodus 19 and he says to those he's writing to, to his audience, write to you and I this evening, he says, Israel couldn't even come close to the mountain. And in Exodus 19, the Lord says, Moses, sanctify the people. Today and tomorrow, let them wash their clothes. Here, he's saying, there has to be a a clean garment on the person for me coming down. How clean were Israel's garments? They were only clean to the point where they were able to make them clean. But God says, set them apart, sanctify them. I'm coming down, listen, on the third day. And that's prophetic too. A day is with the Lord is a thousand years. And the thousand years is one day, Peter tells us. And going by that prophetic time scale, you know what it tells us? That the same God from heaven, in the person of his Son, he's coming in clouds of glory. Listen, 1,000 years has passed, day one. 2,000 years has passed, day two. And he's crying still, sanctify the people. How do we be sanctified? We've been sanctified through the Holy Spirit, sanctified by the Word of God, living for God. How do we wash our clothes, not our literal clothes, but we have the righteousness, the pure garments of Christ upon us for His second coming again. We're now just moved in, according to prophecy. We have moved in to what? The third day. We're in the third day. And the Lord said to Moses, sanctify them. Wash their garments. Make baby clean before me, for I am coming down again, he says, on the third day. Prophetically, we are in the third day, and the Lord Jesus Christ is, is even at the doors. The Lord Jesus Christ is ready to be sent by his Father. He says, go get my children. He's ready to come and break the clouds. He's ready to come that those who are ready would be with him. Now, I notice this. This is important. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 to 24. Let's read it. Hebrews 12, verses 22 to 24. After God gives him this rehearsal of the the mountain and the terribleness of it, he brings them right again to the day or the age of grace. He says, But ye are come to Mount Sion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, unto an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, unto God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, unto Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, unto the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Notice what God is saying here. He's telling through the Hebrew writers. I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, but that's another story. So if I say Paul, you'll forgive me. He's telling the Hebrew writer, tell them not to go back to their temple worship because it's obsolete. There's no salvation outside of Christ. Brothers and sisters, there's no salvation. Neither will there be any salvation outside of Calvary. It's Christ and Christ alone, and there is none other, for there is none else. And he's saying to them, do you realize you've come from this obsolete religion? Do you realize you've come out of this this deadness of the Judaism and the faith of it? Do you realize, he says, you've come on to life, from darkness to life you're brought? Do you realize, friend, that you're brought out of darkness? Do you realize you're being brought out of sin? Brother, sister, do you realize you've been forgiven much, many of you, if you're like me? Do you realize that God could have let you and I go, that we would have ended up in a devil's hell, but because of his love and his grace and his mercy, he sent forth his only begotten Son, and now you and I who have trusted in the finished work of Calvary, we find ourselves cleansed, we're washed in the blood, we're forgiven, and we are now the new Jerusalem waiting for our King's return. That's who we are. Friend, what would you go back to? What would you go back to in the world? What religion would you go to? He says, you're come to Christ. He says, you're come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. 
This shows us grace and mercy. But it shows us something. Notice it's very important. It shows us the living God is the God who is judge of all. You see, there's an idea or a theology or a theory called Marconianism. And God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. All that was for then and all this is for now. It's a different God altogether. It's the same, the one and the same God from Genesis to Revelation. But in the middle of it, he shows mercy to people who are lost for eternity. He shows mercy in it. He's the God who is the judge of all. This God is the mediator of the new covenant or the New Testament. So in the midst of this God who Moses says, I exceedingly fear and quake or I'm trembling at his presence. Right the whole way through, this God is the same God. Yesterday and today and forever. He says, I am Yahweh. I change not. Therefore, he said, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Why did he say that? He says, because you change, but I don't. It's because of who I am, he says, that you're not consumed. And right from the old to the new, here he places the gibbet upon a hill. And there he nails his son to the cross. Jesus stands between the old and the new covenants. Stands within the old, which speaks, as it were, of the dead. Now he is standing for those who have come in him and are the new, you or the living. He stands between the sinner and the Father and reconciles them. He takes the hand of the sinner and he takes, as it were, the hand of the Father. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, he says. He's the one who stands in the gap for us. He takes us from Sinai, the mountain that shakes and quakes, where God came down in power and he brings his to Mount Calvary, he brings us to the place called the place of the skull where Jesus shed his blood and died. He takes us, as it were, even from Sinai to Zion. He takes us from being cursed under the law to being blessed under grace. And he takes us from old Jerusalem to the new Jerusalem. Notice what he says here in verse 22. But ye are come unto Mount Sion, unto the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. Notice the heavenly Jerusalem. There's an earthly Jerusalem. Earthly Jerusalem in Canaan land, around 5,000 years old or so. And that is the earthly Jerusalem. And look, we talk about Zionism. Zionism. Yes, people say, well, the Jews, they have the right to remain in there and to live there. And that's Zionism. But the real Zionism are those who are in Christ. That's the true Zionism. You're come unto Mount Zion. Who? To Jesus and Calvary. The true Mount Zion is in the heart of Jerusalem. The true Mount Zion of the bloodshed. There he walked up Calvary's hill. And all who are in him are unto Mount Zion. They have went up Calvary by faith to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. The old Jerusalem is earthly. The new Jerusalem is heavenly. Listen, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, isn't coming down like a big spaceship, a big city coming down a thousand miles tall and so on, as you hear people saying. No. Do you know when the new Jerusalem's coming down? See, when Christ returns and you and I are caught up to meet the Lord in the air and we are changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, we are the new Jerusalem. We are it. The heavenly Jerusalem is you and I who are redeemed the precious blood of Christ. Jesus stands and offers those under judgment 
to come to join this vast multitude called the General Assembly and the Church of the Firstborn. Jesus says, this is where your salvation is. This is where it lies for eternity for you. Not to return back again to any, any religion. In Hebrews 12 and 22, look what it says. Just a little line. But ye are come unto Mount Zion. And then let your eye run down unto verse 24. He says, all those things we are come to, Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the uh, heavenly Jerusalem, a numerable company of angels, general assembly and church of the firstborn. You're coming on to all of those, the spirits of just men made perfect. Then he says in verse 24, so ye are come to Jesus. You see, there's none of it can happen without Jesus. Nothing happens without Jesus. There's no salvation without Jesus. There's no new covenant without Jesus. There's no new Zion without Jesus. There's no new Jerusalem without Jesus. There's no general assembly without Jesus. There's no church of the firstborn without Jesus. There's nothing without Jesus. And he says, you're come to Jesus. You notice how everything is led on him in this scripture. Builds it all up. Displays it before us. And it's as though he carries it like a giant weight. And he brings it over and he says, come on now, follow me. Here it is here. And he lays it on Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about the Lamb of God. He says, you're come also, look, verse 24, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the sprinkling of blood. What is this new covenant? Jot it down, you can read it when you go home. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 33, for I will make a new covenant, the Lord says, Yahweh said. Notice who says it, Yahweh, Almighty God, Elohim himself says it. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Then he says, not like the covenant I made with their fathers. He says, but I write by laws in their hearts. Jesus comes. He breaks bread and he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is the blood of the new covenant. Hebrews chapter 8 speaks of the new covenant. Hebrews chapter 9 speaks of the new covenant. Hebrews chapter 10 speaks of a new covenant. A covenant of the blood of Christ. And notice, you're come to the sprinkling of blood. Now the word sprinkling needs looked at. It's the word rantismos. And it means cleansing blood. Purifying blood sanctifying blood. For example, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Peter is speaking to the strangers or the Israelites who have been scattered abroad, and now they've heard the gospel and come in faith, trusting in Christ, and in verse 2 he calls them elect. There's that word everybody's afraid of. The elect. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Notice this. The Father elected in eternity through his own knowledge. The sanctification came through the Holy Spirit, whom he sent at the resurrection of Christ, or after, pardon me, the resurrection and ascension of Christ, he sends the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God convicts, quickens, makes dead men and women alive to behold the Lamb of God. And what do they behold? They behold, secondly in this, the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. They behold the cleansing blood They behold the purifying blood. They behold a sanctifying blood. Why is it sanctifying blood? Because once you're marked with the blood of Jesus, 
you're sanctified that you're his. You're marked out for all of eternity. I have an invisible mark upon me that none of you can see it, but only I and he knows it. It's called the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God way back in Egypt said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, pass over you in judgment. So the question must be asked to all of us, are you under the blood? For that is the only thing God will recognize at the day of judgment, the blood of the Lamb. In Hebrews 12 and 24, we're told of the sprinkling of the blood. Now, notice people talk about the spilling of the blood. It's talks, it leans itself to an accident. Like he spilt it by accident. The blood of the Lamb was shed purposefully. Purposefully. He gave up himself to shed his own blood on Calvary's tree purposefully that you might be saved, that you might be forgiven. Purposefully, not accidentally. Sprinkling is different though. For example, the the blood was to be applied on the doorposts and the door lintels in Egypt to bring Israel out. The idea is that the lamb was slain, its blood was in the bucket, the hyssop bush was ready, but if they had left it in the bucket and there was no blood on the doorposts and the door lintels, it was not applied, then judgment would still be theirs. God says, put it on the doorposts and the door lintels. Apply the blood, he says, in the tabernacle in the wilderness. And then in the temple in Jerusalem, the high priest would go in and he would bring the blood with him. The animal's blood was shed. It was there to be used or sprinkled, as it were, on the furniture inside the most holy place or the holy of holies. And so they had to go in and sprinkle it on the furniture, the gold, the golden cabinet, which was the Ark of the Covenant, where the glory of God would come down. And there was the mercy seat and the angels touching wing to wing. And the glory of God would come down. And the only thing to stop that miserable sinner, the high priest in the tabernacle and the temple from being destroyed was the blood of the Lamb. Couldn't stand in his presence. In fact, they used to tie a rope around his ankle. And he used to listen at the curtain when he was in. He was the only one that could go in. And there's a bell and a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate right the whole way around his garments. And as he moved and flowed, they knocked together and made a little sound. Is he still alive? I can hear the bells and the pomegranates. Let's check again. Is the high priest still alive? Yes, I can hear the bell and the pomegranates. If he had died behind the curtain, they couldn't go in to get him. They'd have had to pull him out with a rope. Is he still alive? How do you know your great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has ascended into heaven, is still alive? The sound of the bell and the pomegranates? Yeah, do you know what that is? The gifts of the Holy Ghost sent from heaven. Jesus is still alive. He's still alive. The blood must be applied to the sinner's heart, to their soul. Listen, the blood must even be applied to our very nature. Sinning does not make you a sinner. Did you know that? Sinning does not make you a sinner. You sin because you already are a sinner, your nature. Hebrews 12 and 24 tells us the blood of sprinkling speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now this is very important. The blood of sprinkling speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now some say this, and and, you know, I'm not here to try and uh, make a point of argument with them, but listen. Some say that this means that it's taken from Genesis chapter 4, 
that the blood of Jesus is better than the blood of Abel. (laughs) We don't deny that one bit. Of course it is. It's more powerful. But if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 4 and keep your place in Hebrews chapter 12. Because I beg to differ on that. Genesis chapter 4, please. And let your eye run down to verse 10. Let's go to verse 9. And the Lord said unto Cain, Cain has just killed, he's slain his brother Abel. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. In other words, the Lord says, I know what you've done. Your brother's blood is crying to me. See, it was innocent blood. He didn't deserve to die. Now, I mark these scriptures down. We haven't time to read them. Deuteronomy chapter 19, especially around verse 10, tells us about innocent blood is never to be shed in the land. It's a bit late for Ulster, isn't it? And after the vote yesterday on the abortion issue, it's even worse for Ireland. Write down Isaiah 59. The Lord speaks about Israel shedding innocent blood again. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 17. These six things doth the Lord hate. Seven is an abomination unto him. And the third one mentioned is the shedding of innocent blood. It's a detestable abomination unto God. Is it any wonder when that braggart Judas Iscariot, after seeing Christ being taken, for selling him for 30 pieces of silver, is it any wonder he took his blood money and he came to the priest at the temple and he threw it down. He said he couldn't take it. He says, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. He knew fine rightly. He knew the judgment of God that would be upon him for it. So notice this. Genesis 4 and 10, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground, and it tends to lend itself to thinking, well, the blood of Abel still cries, so the blood of Jesus here is even crying even more unto God. That's not really what it means. I beg to differ. While Jesus' blood is is greater than Abel's blood, and this is true, it isn't referring to Abel's blood in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24. The Hebrew writer is dealing with the old covenant on the new temple worship and the spiritual worship in Christ, and he's dealing with law and grace. The blood that speaketh better things than that of Abel of Hebrews 12 and 24, I believe refers to Genesis 4 and verse 4. Let's read it. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of the flock, and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. That's the blood. By faith Abel comes with the lamb, And he cuts the little lamb's throat and the blood pours out. Simple as that, he says, this is what you have asked for. This is what you require. And now when Christ comes, John the Baptist points at him and says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And there he shed his blood on Calvary's tree. Now that blood speaks of greater things than that of Abel's, that is, of Abel's offering of blood for his sin. Can you see it now? Everything rests on Calvary. And again, just to back this up, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, Hebrews 11 is known as faith's hall of fame, where men of faith and women of faith are mentioned for the things they did through the very power of God and faith in him. 
Hebrews 11 and 4 says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Cain came with all the works of his hands. See what I can do, God. No doubt the sweat was on his brow. And the Lord says, that's not how I tell you to come. See, friend, you come God's way. Or you don't come at all. So in Hebrews 12 and 25, the writer says, See that you refuse not him that speaketh. The word refuse is a big word, and it's a word, pare teome, and it means to decline him, to shun him, to avoid him, to make excuse to him, to reject him. I want to say it again, and I know it's important, that's why I want to say it to you. Refuse not him, and the idea is, do not decline him. Do not shun him, nor avoid him, nor make excuse to him, nor reject him. He says, do not refuse him that speaketh. Do not refuse the speaking one. See, there's a difference here also made. Verse 20. 12, pardon me, in verse 19 says, The voice which they entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. See, the word entreated is the exact same word for refused here. In Exodus chapter 20, if you want to turn with it, to, me, with it, or to it with me, Exodus chapter 20. Now notice this. And that's why I just run down to verse 18. And Mount Sinai was all together on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder, and louder Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up onto the mount, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. Now notice here, it tells us here that when the Lord came down upon the mount, the people didn't want to hear his voice. They refused him. They declined him. They shunned him. And they were saying, we don't want him to speak to us. Verse 21, it tells us this. Look at verse 21, if you will, just for a few moments. And the Lord said unto Moses, pardon me, I'm in for chapter 19, that's why. Chapter 20. 21, and the, and the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where was God. Here the people, if you read this, said, we don't want him to speak unto us. Verse 19, And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak to us, lest we die. I got two of my readings mixed up there. You can forgive me for that. The people were saying, we don't want him to speak to us. You tell us, Moses. But if I stand before God, I'll die. I'll die. So in Hebrews 12 and verse 19, they entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to know it. We'll die. So in Hebrews 12 and 25, it speaks of the voice of him that speaketh, that we are not to refuse him or turn him away. You see, in Exodus chapter 20, what happened was this. Read it when you go home, at your leisure. That's where God also, in the second time, gives the Ten Commandments. And as he gives the Ten Commandments and God's glories, are they stand guilty as charged before God. Guilty. Every single one of them and every single one of us are guilty as charged before God. When a man or a woman's guilty, they need to be punished. 
So by the time Moses is finished rehearsing the commandments and the glory of God is there, they realize their doom is sealed. Tell him not to speak to us. Moses, tell God not to look upon us. Do you know why they said it? Because when the law was there in their face, it magnified their sin to them. It magnified their sin. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 7 and 9. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Paul says, see when the law comes, I see who I really am in the mirror of the law, and I am a dead man. I am a sinner. Romans 2 and 12, he says, As many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. As many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. You know, here's the book. There it is. Go and read it. Take it out, Exodus chapter 20, and see where we've failed. Well, I haven't killed anyone. The Lord Jesus magnifies the law, and he says, if you've even hated your brother in your heart without excuse, you're without excuse. If you've lusted after a man or a woman, he says, you're an adulterer, an adulteress, you're without excuse. He magnifies it. Jesus didn't do away and abolish the law. He kept it. He fulfilled it. But he magnified it. And it shows how sinful. It shows how depraved the human nature really is. And oh, we die without Christ and we think we'll be in his heaven. We're past time. I'm aware of it. I'm going to round this up and finish. Don't let him speak to me. John chapter 3 says this. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a beautiful verse, isn't it? Everyone likes to hold on to that. But let's just read on. Verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through Jesus, might be saved. Oh, that's another nice one. Well, here's verse 18. He that believeth in him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. The light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. See that? Men love darkness rather than light. Lest their deeds should be reproved. So when it speaks trying to close this because I'm trying to find somewhere to close it. I have so much material. When it speaks to refuse not him that speaketh, the idea is gives the word to beg, to desire, to call. It gives the idea that God has spoken to some of you many times. I remember the times when I was walking through Belfast or other places and maybe drugged out of my head. lying on the main road with a car going to come and roll over the top of my head and some man stopped and picked me up. Someone handed me a track when I was drugged and full of drink and people telling me about Christ. Over and 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 over again. One after the other. He loved me so much. I don't know why. I can't understand it. But he kept. It's called irresistible grace. He sent forth his sanctifying spirit, his quickening spirit. And he kept calling.
calling me. And he kept drawing me. And he just kept bringing me closer to the cross till the night I seen the Lamb of God by faith and dying for me. It's the same word here, refuse not. It means God has, as it were, asked you through the preaching of the word, through the witness and the testimony of others. God hasn't given up on you, so don't turn away from him. For the scripture goes on to say, of those who turn away from him. You know what the idea of turning away is? It's a man pulled, like a man pulling out a sword, and he's going to use it, and he goes, I've changed my mind. I've changed my mind. He says, you're like the man who's pulled the sword out, or you're ready to come. You're ready to give your life. You're ready to surrender. You're ready to repent. You're ready to bow the knee. You're ready to come to the Lamb of God. Then suddenly you retract, you retreat, you turn around, you turn away, and you say, I've changed my mind. I've changed my mind. And the scripture says, Refuse not him that speaketh from heaven. Nor turn away. Don't change your mind. Do not change your mind tonight. Let me finish with this one verse. Just pick it out and this is it. In Romans 5 and 19, it says, For by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. See the word disobedience, by one man's disobedience. Speaking of Adam, of all the trees in the garden, thou mayest freely eat thereof, but of the tree in the midst of the garden, of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eatest thereof, for the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die, says God unto him. And he disobeyed God, and he brought forth sin, and sin brought forth death. But the word disobeyed, or disobedience, it's a word parake. It comes from para, para means to come alongside of, in other words, a parable you throw down to make a comparison with something. The paraclete is the Holy Spirit, the one comes alongside to help. And parakeo or parakeo is, means to hear. So this is the idea that God came down in the cool of the day with Adam before he fell. And he's speaking in Adam's ear. He comes alongside. The speaking one speaks to Adam into his very ear. And he tells him, don't do it, Adam. And it means he disobeyed him. It means to, to hear a miss. To hear a miss. Or someone once put it like this. Failing to listen when one is speaking. Many people fail to listen when one is speaking. How many fail to listen when God is speaking? That's the idea that Adam failed to listen when God was speaking. Don't do it, Adam. Don't do it, son. Adam, stay close by me and don't do it. Don't listen to the devil. Don't listen to the serpent. Don't listen to the master of death. Don't do it. God still speaks in the believers here tonight. And many believers listen to the lies of the devil. Many were made sinners because of it. So, by the obedience, it's a word hupake. Hupo means under. Okay means the same, to listen, to hear. And when put into the word, Christ comes. And he upholds his Father's word. And he listens to him completely. And he carries out his will. Son, you're going to the cross. I will, Father. Son, they're going to beat you. I know, Father. Son, they're going to whip you. They're going to manhandle you. 
Some they're going to make you carry the cross up to Mount Sinai or about uh, Calvary. Some they're going to put nails in your hands and your feet. Son, will you do my will? He says, I will, Father. I will. And he goes up and he's nailed to the Roman gibbet. By the obedience of one and the shedding of the precious blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, many shall be made righteous. I'm one of the many. Are you? Do not refuse a speaking one tonight. Do not refuse the speaking one tonight. Hebrews 12 tells us there's a a kingdom of God that you can enter an everlasting kingdom. But on the other hand, there are those who will enter into everlasting judgment. Refuse not the speaking one. God will not accept anything you have to offer. The sinner had to come and offer the blood. He presents the blood. I will present, as it were, the blood. Father, I'm trusting in the blood. That's what I mean by that. But God will present the blood to the sinner first. Here he is. Here is the blood of Jesus. Here is the blood of my son. Here is the blood, the precious blood of the Lamb. And only this will the Father accept and acknowledge. Only this will be enough to redeem your soul and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Only the blood. So refuse not him that speaketh from heaven tonight. For if you're not saved, you must be under the blood. You must be trusting in the blood. God bless his word. Then I to all of our hearts. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen.